This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, we're going to have a ton of great discussion. I can't wait to get into this um, because we're going to go back to a little bit of the roots of what we're talking about with building a business, um, you know, how to make your business successful, and some of that's branding, some of that is what is your core philosophy as a business, as opposed to just, hello, I want to make money, um, you know, and all these various things. So please join me in welcoming my guest today, Stephen Morris. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you, Deb. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. I love your program, and I'm thrilled to be a guest. Really excited for our conversation today. Well, thank you so much. So now, let me tell people just a little bit about you. So Steve is president of Empth Degree, and that's M like is Michael. Empth Degree, a brand evolution consultancy, a speaker, writer, and artist. He's worked with more than 250 brands, including these little guys, Samsung, NFL, Habitat for Humanity, LG, Sony, and over 3,000 global business leaders. He has spoken at national and global events, including Creative Mornings, How Conference, Social Venture Network, AIGA, American Marketing Association, business schools, and many in-house corporate events and workshops. His forthcoming TEDx talk is entitled, The Beautiful Business. Steve is the author of two books, Brand Love and Loyalty and Humanizing the Customer Journey. And he has a book coming out soon called The Evolved Brand, How to Impact the World Through the Power of Your Brand. So again, Steve, welcome. Oh, thank you, Deb. I appreciate the introduction there. Great. Well, let's go back a little bit to the beginning. How is this that you decided this was your passion? And, you know, how did you get into this and, and why did you form your agency? Mm, great question. So I came up, you know, so in, in the agency world, you, you tend to come up in, in, into and through that world through a couple of different avenues. Mm-hmm. And one of which would be as a um, an account person, which is really managing the customer relationships right. that any agency would have. And then the other would be as a creative. Um, and that creative could be uh, either in the visual or, or the verbal side of things. And so my background, I came up as a creative. So mm-hmm. I have... Um, a kind of a weird academic background. Uh, I say weird. Uh, it's normal to me because it was my background and experience, right. but it's probably weird to most people in the business world in that I have an undergraduate degree in fine art with mm-hmm. minors in philosophy and psychology. Mm. I have a master's degree in design. Wow. And I was, I've always been fascinated with, you know, really the, the bigger questions of our life and our world, which is what what makes us tick, what what drives us, what motivates us, and how do we um, we as people in the business world, how do we reach people, how do we uh, uh, create effectual change, and and what's important to mm-hmm. us uh, as business leaders. So I came up through the industry as a creative and worked in a bunch of uh, East Coast uh, uh, design, creative, and uh, advertising agencies. And 
found myself in, in the early 90s um, kind of facing uh, early burnout in my 20s, my late 20s, and um, decided at that point to um, you know, <clears throat> to make a big lifestyle decision and change, mm-hmm. uh, uproot, uproot everything, move to San Diego, California, which uh, I'm sure most people would not bemoan me for doing so. Right. Uh, but, but I was working, you know, like kind of six and a half days a week and mm-hmm. really having no personal time was just recently married. And so my wife and I uh, spent our first anniversary uh, in a rider truck driving cross country to San Diego where we knew no one. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that I would come out here and uh, out here into San Diego and get essentially another job and work for an agency. But what I realized is that uh, San Diego was a relatively young town at that point. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't uh, agencies yet doing the kind of work that I was either used to doing and, and interested in doing. So mm-hmm. I had freelance work uh, that kept me busy for a few months and ended up um, just starting my own business at that point. Uh, I would uh, volunteer on, on nonprofit organizations and uh, do pro bono work for those organizations mm-hmm. And insist on just kind of a couple of things. Uh, a, that they had the resources to provide and and accomplish the goals that I was helping them to achieve. Mm-hmm. And B, that I would have the opportunity to present the strategic work that I was doing to the board of directors of whatever that nonprofit organization mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And because those people on boards of directors are also uh, CEOs or leaders at other companies, saw the work that I was doing there, and they said, well, wow, we could really use your services and your thinking in our organization, and uh, that's how I essentially started my business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it really started as um, partially a design agency, but also partially a, a strategy agency where we were working very closely with companies, even in the early days like Sony and Mattel and Hasbro, um, in helping them think through uh, product development and innovation and new product launches. And because we got um, a quote-unquote seat at the table with the the higher uh, executives of the organization, they, they realized that we could do more than just do the fantastic design work, but also help them think through the business elements uh, that they are business challenges that we're facing within the organization. Mm-hmm. So we just grew and grew from there. And, uh, and, you know, t- to this day, I continue to do work that uh, works directly with the leadership teams of organizations and helping them with their biggest, most complex challenges. Right. You know, and I love that you made connections through volunteer work. I always tell people that is one of the best ways. And it doesn't matter if you are a college student or, you know, somebody changing careers, all these various things. Volunteering, you know, first of all, it's good for your soul. So this is good. Um, but it is such a fabulous way to make connections. And, you know, and, and I've certainly done it. You know, you look at what matches your philosophy. And then, you know, where you, and, and let's be honest, who you can meet at those places, um, you know, and, and plus it's a great way to get experience. I tell, you know, especially when I'm working with people on their LinkedIn profiles who might not have a ton of experience, I tell them, go volunteer. You know, you, even, even if you haven't done whatever it is, they might be more than happy to help train you and then you have that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, these nonprofit organizations, they need help. Mm-hmm. 
lots of them are doing incredibly great work at, with relatively low, um, you know, budgets and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And I think uh, doing pro bono work and lending your expertise and, and helping them, you know, uh, really achieve their purpose and reach their customers is uh, quite a powerful thing. And the connections and experience that you can make out of that, um, boy, I can't even begin to even calculate how many connections I continue to have. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, in the nonprofit world, and I and I continue to do nonprofit work. Uh, not all of it is pro bono, um, but some of it is, and I really am quite particular about the organizations that I work with. Which, to your point, Deb, is all aligned with my own personal passions, my own value systems. Right. You know, I remember many years ago. Well, actually, it really wasn't many years ago. It was just kind of a while ago. I worked um, as a lobbyist. That was an interesting job. And I actually, I loved it. It was very cool. I, you know, got to learn a lot of things. But one of the things that they told us was if they had a client that we could not support 100%, just tell them and they wouldn't put us on that project. And, you know, because they knew that we couldn't give 100%. And so it's like that, whether it's, you know, that we're, we're working for someone, working with someone or volunteering. If you really don't have that passion, then you're doing everyone a disservice. Um, you know, I say that then with the caveat that, okay, sometimes we have to pay the bills. <laughs> you know? sure. and, but, you know, if it really is sucking your soul dry, then you really need to rethink what you're doing. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think, you know, passion and purpose are two of those things that um, are sort of the operating system to doing exceptional work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, doing just good enough work um, at any, any level, really, uh, but especially at the, the highest levels, professional levels, you know, when you throw your passion and your own personal purpose behind the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of data out there now that points to the exponential positive effects that uh, and the outcomes that your your passion and purpose can can provide for um, uh, for whatever the work that is you're doing, and and that could be you know whether you have a passion for accounting. Uh, in a particular realm, or if it's organization or leadership, or you know, in my world, it's um, you know, it's brand strategy and it's business strategy and it's uh, leadership with wholeheartedness. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, when we put our passion behind something, it it creates uh, huge exponential effects. And for those people who are just going through the motion, uh, uh, people who have passion and purpose will always outperform those people who are just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're not going to love it all the time. You know, that that silly saying that says, you know, it's not work if you're doing what you love. Uh, okay, you know, that, that kind of is true. But at the same point, there are times where there are things you don't like, especially if you're a small business owner. You know, I don't like invoicing. I don't like having to go through and do all of those various things. So the nice thing is you can outsource some of those things on, on you know, if, if at all possible. But it's not roses all the time. And, and, you know, I always want to tell people that because especially if they're starting their own business, <coughs> excuse me, they're thinking, oh, this is great. I have this passion and ugh, I have to do these other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The myth of the business owner, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we could have a whole conversation just around that, you know, because there's on the, from the outsider perspective, it looks just like all glorious, you mm-hmm. know, there's get to fly first class or some of us do uh, you, you know, you're, you're, Put on stage as a speaker at these particular events, and you know you get to do podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, when, when we hang up here today, I've got a whole list of things to do. My to-do list of paperwork and things right. like that uh, is, you know, is is a whole bunch of non-sexy things, to be perfectly honest. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, but that by doing those, it does allow us to do what we what is our passion, and and so that's great. You know, and 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 that's also you know, people who are, and I'm putting this in my little air quotes, just employees can still do that. You know, maybe they really do love where they work. I mean, there's certainly so many people who do that. But again, sometimes that's why they need to volunteer. They have that passion. They need that outlet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the give and take. Um, you know, you find what works and then adjust as necessary. Sounds like a yeah. recipe. <laughs> yeah. You know, what you just noted reminded me of, um, of Dan, some of Dan Pink's work and his... Uh, the book is a couple of years old now, but it was, uh, it's a book called Drive. And really, one of the big outcomes of that has to do with really what motivates people within the workforce. And really, he, he distilled it beautifully down into three things. Uh, and that is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm-hmm. And the autonomy is the, you know, is the permission and the invitation and even the allowance for individuals to show up with their own personal genius. Right in whatever it is that they're doing, be they a entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or someone in, uh, in an organization that works for, quote unquote, somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, the mastery element is the element that permits them to continually to learn and strive towards more mastery in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So regardless of their job function or role, if they have the permission and then the opportunity to continue to grow and learn and improve their own skill set, then that's going to be a big plus. And then purpose, which goes in again into your point, which is, you know, people want to contribute to something to something that's larger than them. Mm-hmm. And I think actually raising your hand, and I actually give some keynotes on this concept of brand and belonging, but people people want to raise their hand and contribute to, to something that's larger than than they are. Mm-hmm. So that that could be an alignment essentially of their own individual purpose mm-hmm. if, the, if they realize that they know what that is or their own core values, their operating system for life and in alignment with what that, what those things might be in an organizational environment. So one of the organizations that I'm working with right now, I'm not going to mention their name, but you know, they, they have this really beautiful culture and the, and their culture has a set of core values that allows these three things that Dan Pink talks about, which is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And they didn't necessarily design it with that in mind, although it was a beautiful outcome uh, that permits both the the freedom to to be there in, for, for an employee, to be their own individual within the organization, but align with the purpose of the organization in a way that they continue to learn as, a, as an individual. Mm-hmm. So these things are really important for folks on every level, and, and especially when I'm working with organizations and you know leadership teams and cultures and, and things of that nature, making sure that they're, they're providing these opportunities for autonomy, mastery, and purpose within an organization creates actually for deeper uh, organizational engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we want to work for and with places that we know are making a difference. Um, you know, and and sometimes it's little. Sometimes it's it's you know they're making a large difference depending on on what the organization does. But we just don't want to go be that mindless automaton who's who's there just you know taking an order and filling it and, and going on. Um, but it does take knowing 
yourself and what you need. Um, you know, years ago, I worked for an agency, and you know, typical agency things change every second. <laughs> you know, you you might actually have your plan in mind for the day, and no, not so much. It, it almost never works out that way. Thing, you know, clients change, things come up, all these various things. And one of the, the women that I worked with, that was not in her wheelhouse. I mean, mm-hmm. she she did not like that. She liked to be told at 1010, you will be doing X. At mm-hmm. 220, you will be doing X. And you know, of course, me, that would have, you know, th- th- that really just drives me nuts. I hate things like that. But she didn't like flexibility. And, you know, and, it, and so she didn't last in an agency. She went to work for one of the, the very large corporations where it really was, here is your job. You will sit down and you will do this and this and this and this. And for her, that was what she needed to feel like she was doing a great job. And, and so that's, that's part of, you know, when we're picking our careers, you know, we need to figure out what works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even to that point, what kind of environment do we feel like we mm-hmm. belong to and how much, you know, freedom on one end of the spectrum and then predictability on the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. is important in our lives. You know, we it, when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, and we think about the pyramid that is created there, the visual would be at the very bottom of that. We want safety and security and then one step up uh, and the rung of ladders uh, climbing the pyramid is we want this sense of love and belonging, which is, I think, important in the cultural world. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it, when those of us who are in sort of in the innovative space or in the creative space, uh, we're, we're sort of natural born chance takers. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, a lot of it is very calculated uh, risk taking, um, but you can't have both. And so this is what I call the, the possibility paradox. And so on one end of the spectrum, you have, um, we want some predictability and, and certainly safety in our lives. Mm-hmm. But if that's all we have, life gets very boring. Right. On the other side of the spectrum, if everything is um, unknown and you're living constantly in the world of you don't know what's going to happen next or, or, or conversationally in the world of, of innovation and creativity – then too much of that creates anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we have this pendulum back and forth where we want this safety and security and some predictability around our worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the other side, we actually want and thrive on and feel most alive when we're innovating, when we're taking chances and we're, when we're risking ourselves in some, some way, shape, or form, or even in that realm where we're moving the world forward, where we're actually taking those risks and uh, with the design to make the world a better place. And that world might just be the world of our customers and our clients, but it's still making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you know, at the start of the program, I talked a little bit about you know, why we start a business and, and what is our value and what is our purpose. And, and you work with a lot of companies uh, about their core values. And, you know, and, and I jokingly said, you know, our core value is not, you know, not to make money. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, even nonprofits make money. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, we have to make money or we're, we're not, we can't do what it is that we're doing. Um, you know, even if it's just that it frees up our time to be able to go do something else. So, you know, business people, yes, you know, you have to make money. But talk to us about the importance of core values. Why is it? And it doesn't matter if it's the one person in their guest room that, you know, like me that has my office or, you know, somebody like a Jeff Bezos or, you know, Steve Jobs or somebody like that. 
companies, you know, why is our core values so important to a company? Yeah. So, Deb, if I could just build up to that, because there's really, really important things that you just talked about okay. there. When I get involved with organizations and they're they're looking to, um, you know, work with me in a what I call a brand evolution program, and mm-hmm. so typically that comes about through. Um, you know, the organization, uh, the business, it has faced some um, crossroads. Uh, it might okay. be on the extreme end with some type of crisis where, uh, you know, uh, a CEO has resigned or uh, a new leader is taking, taking the helm of the organization mm-hmm. or they've lost significant market share to a competitor or something happens that's either within their culture or outside of their control and outside the walls of their organization. And so I begin to work with the leaders to help mine what I consider their most deeply held beliefs. Okay. Their deeply held beliefs taps into what I call purpose, mission, vision, promise, and then core values. And I'll Mm -hmm. break that down just real quickly for, for the listeners here. So a brand purpose, from my perspective, and this is all part of the messaging matrix or belief matrix that I work with organizations on. Brand purpose is the big why. It's the why we're doing what we're doing. It's the difference that we're trying to make in the world. Uh, it's the it's the answer to the question. You take money aside. You take money off the table. Why does your business deserve to exist on this planet uh, versus, say, a competitor or something like that? Mm-hmm. And almost all the organizations that I work with have one. They just may not know what it is. They maybe just haven't yet defined what that what that brand purpose is or what mm-hmm. the organizational purpose is. And then the next thing is the mission. And the mission is how they go about achieving their purpose. So it's really much more of a how-to statement. It talks about the business that they're in. It talks about stuff that what they deliver to customers, things of that nature. And then the vision is how the world or their world or the world of their customers will begin to look as they go about achieving their purpose. So it's essentially the change state, if you will, of you know, the current state versus the future state. And, you know, the, the, when I'm taking organizations through uh, a brand visioning exercise, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about it in the realm of sort of a movie trailer. So we're all familiar with the movie trailers that has the deep throated voice that says, in a world where, then they open the movie trailer that's like a minute long and they, they, it's like a, a mini version of the movie. Well, mm-hmm. The brand vision is in a world where this organization goes about achieving their purpose. That's how that world begins to look. And mm-hmm. that you, know, you can describe that in lots of different ways. And then you get into this element. Uh, so putting all that together, you get into this element where, where you begin to point all of those statements outward into what I consider a brand promise. And the brand promise is the explicit and measurable promise that you state to your customers and will constantly deliver to. So, and it's explicit because a promise is only as good as one can make it. So Deb, if I were to make you a promise, I wouldn't just make it in my head. Mm-hmm. I would actually say it to you, Deb, I promise this. Okay. And then it's measurable in because the it, it holds the brand or the organization accountable for living up to that purpose or excuse me, that promise. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it allows them to track whether or not they're living up to it. Mm-hmm. 
And then the, the, the last component of it, uh, which is really not the last, but it's a very important cultural component, which is your question, the core values. So the core values are the belief systems put into action. So it's essentially where the beliefs, if you think where the rubber meets the road uh, between beliefs and action, the core values are those things. Mm -hmm. Core values could be as simple as, as you want to make them. Uh, like I mentioned, the, the real estate organization that I'm working with right now, they only have three core values. And but what they do is they, they ensure that they live up to those values. So um, the, the, some of the best values uh, are, are brought to life through stories. So when I'm doing, say, a core values workshop with an organization that I'm working with, I'll tend to begin with a couple of different things. First and foremost, identifying current behaviors of some of the key individuals that you believe are are best representative of the, of the behaviors you'd like to see everyone within your organization exhibit and live up to. And you know, there's ways of, of breaking that down and articulating that. And you might even take a few key star employees and break down, well, what are the, what are the values and what are the behaviors to those values that, that makes it really, really important. Mm -hmm. And then the, the second Thing that I would do with organizations is I, I love to bring values to life or core values to life through stories. So if I were to tell you a story of the way that um, uh, one of my coworkers showed up and took care of a customer, and you would both understand not just that story, but you would understand the values that sit behind that particular story that were action that are actionable and real. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's not a made up story. It's a real story. So, mm -hmm. you know, John did this with this customer and the customer felt really great because of that. Those are great things to activate those core values. So that's the core values. Like uh, for me, from, for, from my perspective are really the operating system to any culture. It's how, it's how culture defines how we're going to treat one another, how we're going to behave, how we're going to communicate, and how we're going to treat customers, and essentially how we're going to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. It was interesting as you were talking about this, <clears throat> I just Googled one of the, the big guys, Walmart, just out of curiosity, just to see because I've, I've never actually looked at what their core values and what their mission statement is and you know love them or hate them you know because there are people who think all sorts and and you find that with every company you know really people people love or hate every company you know and, and so you know there's all those various things but walmart's mission is to save people money so they can live better mm. i like that I like and then that. they even have core values they have very specific core values and they're listed in their career center. So when, you, when you're going to apply for a job, you're reading these. And so their core values are the business of better, service to the customer, respect for the individual, strive for excellence, and act with integrity. Which, you know, I, to me, hello, every business should have those. And so then it is a matter of do they live up to those? And, and I think that's what's so interesting about any company in the world is when they don't, what happens? Um, you know, and, and or when they do. I mean, you know, we see stories all the time, especially in this day and age of social media. We were talking about that um, before we went on the air. Things that happen, you know, there, there's nothing that's private anymore, anything like that. Yeah. You know, and, and so when you see examples 
of you know like there was there was something that went around on social media a while ago where it was a young man who worked in a fast food restaurant and I don't remember which fast food restaurant it was but he he took the time to go help one of their customers who was physically disabled and couldn't cut his meal mm. you know, and, and so he went and did that now you know he could have just as easily been reprimanded by the manager for you know for doing things like that but you know somewhere in there their core value was help the customer and you know and and so it again it doesn't matter what size business you are you need to figure out what is your corporate mission what are your core values and then are you living up to them with every single thing you do yeah yeah. And you can reverse engineer that too. Like I love actually what you just stated about Walmart. And the thing I'd be interested about Walmart is whether or not, well, two things. First, I love that they've stated their core values on, I think it was their employee prospect page mm -hmm. yep. uh, you know, where you would go essentially to apply for a job. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what I love about that and what I help some organizations do is how to attract more of the right kinds of employees. Right. And I think that utilization of core values to both attract and potentially to weed out those employees who don't, don't necessarily align with some of the things that you might have in core mm -hmm. values and ensure that you're hiring the right people. And so some organizations that I work with all engineer a system that when they're looking to grow their employee base or attract um, more of the right kinds of employees, we can develop um, an employee prospect experience journey. Hmm. And we use the core values as an overlay to that to ensure when people, you know, stand in line or raise their hand and say, I want to work for this organization, we can design a process that ensures that they're aligned with the core values mm -hmm. and that I, both through the application process, through the interview process, and even from the training process, when someone has decided to uh, bring someone on board, we can train them in such a way that brings them closer into the orbit, into the actionable behaviors of the core values, mm -hmm. which it sounds like Walmart might be doing that. And another great example is Zappos. Mm -hmm. um, they are very, they have a very, they're very well known for their core value set. And mm -hmm. they're also very well known for utilizing their core values as both an attraction for potential employees uh, and even a vetting process for how they um, uh, how they uh, interview and and bring on new people. Mm -hmm. Right, and you know sometimes you see uh, like like big accounting firms is is a great is a great example that I was thinking of where you know part of their their core value is that uh, you know they probably don't put this in writing, but there are going to be certain times of the year where you're working eighty hours a week. <laughs> but yeah. that is because of the level of customer service they're going to provide, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so maybe their core value is work, you know, I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head, work really hard, but play really hard too, you know, and, and so maybe it's that, you know, when everything is done, they all get to go on vacation. I mean, you know, wouldn't that be great? Um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it is something that, we do need to think of. Um, and then the stories, you know, as, as you were talking about stories, I was thinking about the Budweiser commercials. You know, Clydesdales don't really have that much to do with beer. But when you look at the commercials, it is kind of showing you what their core value is. 
of, mm. of, you know, how, and, and it's, it, 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 they make you feel good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. that's the, you know, and, and so then you're kind of thinking, okay, well, if this is the way they treat their horses and we all know, you know, the Clydesdales are a big part of Budweiser's image. If they treat their horses like that, then maybe that's how they treat their employees and, and things like that. So it's, you know, the, the stories are, are very important. And I want to talk more about that because I think so many companies forget that it's the stories that build that trust. And then when we have that trust, we say, hey, I'm going to, to do business with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think stories are really important, um, uh, not just from the core value standpoint, but uh, even from um, like the story that you just told about that fast food company and that employee Mm -hmm. (coughs) who went out and cut the food for this particular customer. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that is the perfect example of the kind of story that brings to life. Here's what we believe and here's what we do because of what we believe. Mm-hmm. And those stories can be told to customers all day long. And I actually think it's a, it's a very, like even that particular example, they could turn that into a TV spot if mm-hmm. they really wanted to, right. or a marketing message, mm-hmm. which is we go to this extent to help people. Um, so long as it's authentic, I'll underscore right. that. It has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if they just say it and not actually do it, then that, then, then we get into a, a disintegrous, mm-hmm. uh, realm of communication but you know that particular uh, fast food company could go out with a storytelling process that talks about that and maybe a couple other stories that goes into what they believe and how they show up uh, mm-hmm. for their customers and I think that's while it seems simple and also um, like it's sort of an obvious thing to do if that person couldn't cut cut whatever they were eating on their own uh, that person jumped up from behind the counter took care of that person and they were not there was no money in it for them, right? right. They had already made the sale. Mm-hmm. Like they had already bought whatever food they were and they were mm-hmm. eating in the restaurant. Um, so there was no no reason for them to do that other than to live up to what their belief system was. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a great thing that, that more organizations should, I think, be not only identifying, but also challenging their employees at to live up to. Right. And it's tricky because, you know, while that person was, was helping, it might have meant that other people weren't being waited on, you know, and, and so, you know, now hopefully nobody would have complained. I mean, that would have been really bad and really tacky, but, um, you know, it, it, it is something that you have to balance, you know, we can't, we can't be helping everybody, you know, and, and so, but that comes back to exactly what you were saying before about empowering people, you know, mm-hmm. letting them know that, when appropriate, it's okay for them to take these actions. Yeah. Yeah. And organizations uh, realize that there's real human beings that work for the companies that, mm-hmm. that, they, that, that they're employing. And so they're trusting those employees to live up to a behavior set or a core values code and, and trusting them to the extent that they're allowing them to make decisions on their own mm-hmm. uh, that live up to the promise of the organization and the core values of the organization. And I love when, when, when organizations trust their employees to do just that because you really do see um, some really beautiful things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, stories that I heard about, you know, for instance, Southwest Airlines and how they really trust their employees to live up to their biggest value, which is love and mm-hmm. which is really caring for the customer. And they've just, um, they've just done a phenomenal job about that mm-hmm. uh, across the world where, 
you know, you hear stories time and time again from Southwest Airlines employees going above and beyond uh, for for the folks in their flights or to get folks on their flights and, right. and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, and it is... As I said, a challenge, you know, because we, you know, are immediately thinking, well, what if somebody takes advantage, um, you know, and and so as the manager, as the business owner, it it can be a little bit of, you know, a, a catch twenty two. If you give them too much freedom, are they, you know, how does it go? If they give them too much rope, are they going to hang themselves, um, you know, or is it something that and and it, and it all it it just all ties together. I mean, you know. If you trust your employees and you have hired the right employees, like you were saying earlier, then they're not going to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've kind of you set that groundwork, well, then, you know, they're, they're going to go work somewhere else. Um, but it, it is, and, and it's also very important to continually be telling your employees about those stories, about those core values and reminding them, hey, this is what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, what, uh, some of the things that I do with certain organizations is we, um, we, we have like quarterly all hands meetings with mm-hmm. these groups. And as part of that, we tend to structure um, uh, storytelling, a brand storytelling. We don't really call it that, but we just call it stories from, from the world or stories from the culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of people will have the opportunity to stand up and just tell a story about something they did for a customer that went above and beyond or demonstrated a particular core value. And we don't even necessarily talk about it from, you know, oh, this story represents this particular core value or something to that nature. We just tell the story. And that story and the support of that story, the remembering of that story, and, the, and then ultimately the retelling of that story after that particular event has happened, it takes root into the culture and becomes evangelized. Mm-hmm. And then other people are sort of invited and challenged to live up to that and do some of the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading on your website, which is the Mth degree, and I'm, why not nth degree? <laughs> why am? Yeah. Well, I just got sidetracked all of a sudden, you know, squirrel. Yeah, it's, it's a mathematical term for without limits, and okay. um, nth degree is what we consider, or what I consider marketing without limits. Okay. And so I don't like to live in the confines of traditional marketing, uh, which is why I wrote the book, Humanizing the Marketing Journey, and, uh, and also Brand Love and Loyalty, which is really about humanizing brands. Mm-hmm. But you had a question there. Yeah, I did. You know, and before before I went squirrel. Um, so I was reading some of your blog posts, and and you had this great quote on one of them, and it says, "The soul of a brand comes from the people who live and breathe it." Yeah. And and I think that comes back to exactly what we were saying. What is the soul of your company? You know, what does when somebody thinks about you, whether they're an employee, a former employee, that's always an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a customer. What do they think about when they think about you? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's break it down this way. You know, the way I see it is that all business, in fact, business as we know it today, is essentially a human invention. And even though we're in the world of big data right now, which I which I get from a technology standpoint, I think there's a lot of value in what we can actually measure from a marketing perspective. It will never replace the need for real human beings connecting with other real human beings. Mm -hmm. And on one side, the first set of real human beings are the people that work for the organization. And that could be as small as a solopreneur or startup or consultant 
uh, or a small business of, you know, the team of three people or something of that nature, mm-hmm. uh, or as large as folks that I've worked with, like Samsung and LG and Sony and, and folks like that. Mm-hmm. So that's one set of people. And then the other set of people are essentially customers who are the people who buy the, the products and or services mm-hmm. that that other group of people, the first group of people within the organization provide. So ultimately, it's all about human-to-human connection, human-to-human communication. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at some point, even a human, human-to-human exchange of, of goods and services. Mm-hmm. And what I love to see is when um, great people on both sides of that particular equation show up and are extraordinary. I believe that, that business can be a force for good in this world. And I think actually businesses can can um, evolve to uh, to go beyond transaction into a state of transcendence. Mm-hmm. And that transcendence, from my perspective, and they may sound like lofty words, but they're, they're really not, uh, it is looking to, to improve the world of your customer. Mm-hmm. And so if you go from one state to the next, you're actually transcending that, that the initial state. And if, and if companies live up to their purpose and the people within those companies help help provide products and services to, that live up to that purpose, then they're actually creating an opportunity for, for transcendence for the, the worlds of their customers. Mm-hmm. Well, and it can be something as simple as you got the best darn fried chicken you could, you know, up to the very large type of, of things where, where companies really do want to do things where they're, they're, you know, having, you know, impacts on society and, and generating discussion. I mean, Zappos is one, um, Apple is one, all of those companies. And, and recently, you know, when it, we've, we've seen that, that little tiny company, Nike, that yeah. decided they were going to put their name out there um, as, you know, and, and I mean, you talk about an ad campaign that generated discussion. I honestly can't think of another ad campaign ever that got so many people polarized, you know, one, one side or the other. I mean, they really put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. It, they, um, well, they're doing what they've been doing for quite some time, which is really living up to their own belief system. And Mm -hmm. you made the point earlier, which I completely agree with. And I think is relevant here is that there's no such thing as a brand that's for everybody or Mm -hmm. rather there's no such thing as an organization that everyone's going to be a fan of. And that could include as big organizations like Walmart or, or even Amazon, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's probably very few people who don't don't use Amazon in in Western culture. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, that there's no brand for everybody, then a brand should take a stand for a what it believes and b what it supports. Mm-hmm. And I think you know Nike has done quite an extraordinary job of of putting their flag in the sand, so to speak, metaphorically. Right. <laughs> uh, and we believe in this, mm-hmm. and and it's not really just about Kaepernick. Uh, like if we're we're talking about the most recent TV advertising mm-hmm. that they're doing, which is really uh, there's there's a lot of social work that, or, or social media work that they did or they've done or digital work that they've done mm-hmm. to support that campaign. There is, it's very polarizing. And mm-hmm. so the perspective of there's no such thing as bad PR, while certainly certain people could argue that, especially with the Me, Me Too movement and, and things of that nature, you know, Louis C.K. would say there is a such thing, for instance, mm-hmm. bad PR. Mm-hmm. 
But Nike, I don't know that they would argue the point because I think they are taking a stand for what they believe. Mm -hmm. And to a large extent, they are okay with the fallout of that, right. good, bad, or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they knew they would lose customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and granted, I mean, that's, that is a tough business decision. And some of us can't make that decision. I mean, you know, we, we have to have that, those customers. But they knew it would cost them customers. On the flip side, they knew they would gain customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, there, there is that money thing. But they also knew that it was important to them. And, you know, and, and I mean, we face that issue personally all the time. You know, is this a stand we want to take? You know, I tell people, you know, is, is, do we want to poke the bear today or let's not poke the bear today? Um, you know, and, and so it, it comes back to exactly what we were saying, our core values. Sometimes we make those leaps and sometimes we don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what, what I believe that they knew or what I suspect that they were, were sort of betting on is that not only would, they, would it polarize people and a certain uh, population or belief set population out there would push against what this particular ad campaign actually stands for. On the other side of that, I suspect that they were betting that the people who aligned with that ad campaign would become even deeper loyalists. Right, more, more brand deeply advocates. Deeply committed to, to the Nike brand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, every brand's going to have some enemies. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not, like, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that don't even, don't even agree with the work that I'm doing in the world, uh, helping organizations, you know, unearth uh, mine and express their own personal, pur- their own mm-hmm. organizational purpose. Um, I totally get that, uh, and I'm completely okay with that. Right. And uh, in, in the world of Nike, they know that they're not they're not looking to sell products to everybody out there. They're looking to sell really products for people who deeply believe in what they're doing mm-hmm. and want to live their life in some aligned fashion and aligned manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we do see that with especially the the big brands all the time, where you know they they take that stand, and you know and and. It, it, it can be something um, like Volvo. Isn't Volvo, they're completely committed to safety, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so their cars are going to cost more because of that. So again, you know, they're, they're limiting their market because there are some people who are just going to say, you know what, <laughs> yeah, safety is important, but I just can't afford it, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting when these big brands do this. Um, and, and I love watching it. I mean, you know, the, the other thing with Nike is how much, and, and they, you know, we knew that they would, you know, they knew that this was just going to go on forever. I mean, all of the, the other memes that have come out of this, I love going to Facebook just to see, you know, how many people have created memes today that, you know, are based on that funny negative, thought-provoking, all these various things. I mean, you know, I've seen ones with dogs where they're just going to go do it. Um, you know, <laughs> and, you know, all sorts of things like that. You know, and, 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 but also thought-provoking ones where people went, okay, you know, Colin wasn't our hero. Here is our hero. And so that got people thinking that way. Um, you know, and, and whether you like what they did or not, I, I mean, I, I admire that they took that stand and said, this is, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I think one of the one of the interesting things that that this particular campaign points to is the opportunity for organizations, for brands, to actually take a stand and begin to create societal change. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and not that they're changing the world per se with this advertising campaign, but what they're doing is they're tapping into uh, a, a zeitgeist that is already out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Kaepernick thing, uh, that's been going on for a couple of years now. And mm-hmm. all they're really doing is there's, there's, they're tapping into that right. and they're going to stand for what they believe in alignment with that. And I think actually, you know, so when we think about, we've probably all heard the, the, the terms and, and the opportunities for businesses to be a force for good in the world. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Nike is a great example of, of an organization stepping up and saying, look, we're, we're taking a stand for a particular belief system that is not really directly connected to their products, right. but it is directly connected to the culture and the world where their products actually live. Mm-hmm. And they're taking a stand and, and creating a voice for people out there that may not have that voice or haven't been able to or haven't chosen to articulate what they've articulated in a particular way mm-hmm. that moves that societal change um, further down the road, so to speak. Right. You know, and, and as we were talking about this, I was thinking, and you know, I'm <clears throat> giving away my age on this one, when Coca-Cola did the, the whole campaign with you know, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, and that was, that was quite a few years ago. I was fairly young when that campaign came out. And, but I still remember people saying, what on earth does that have to do with soda or, you know, <laughs> pop or whatever it is that we're going to call it in the, in, in the world. And, you know, granted, yes, I live now down here in, in the world of Coke, but it, that was something that they felt was important. Um, you know, and, and, and then that song, of course, obviously took off. We sang it in our school concerts and, and all of those things, but it made you stop and reflect. And I think that's what for a brand we should before and for a company, we should be thinking about, you know, what, again, what do people think about when they think about our company? Um, you know, do they think, Hey, we we provide absolutely fabulous customer service or, huh, you know, I emailed them and they never respond. Um, you know, I've, I've been dealing with issues with, um, <clears throat> one of those big internet providers and, and it's funny because I posted online that I was having issues and everybody, I mean, it was, nobody said, Oh my gosh, I like that company. What's wrong with you? Um, and you know, so it's, it, it what does your brand stand for? You know, what are the stories that people tell when they're talking about your brand? Yeah. 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 And a lot of people, um, or not everybody realizes that most of quote unquote advertising, especially TV advertising is driven to create brand awareness. Mm-hmm. First and foremost. So, you know, in, in the world of marketing and, and advertising, it takes customers, it takes a brand seven impressions with a customer just for them to realize that you were there, that you exist. Mm-hmm. And then another five to seven impressions to, for them to begin to act on something that you're calling calling them to act on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the money that is put into you know this what we consider mass media advertising, especially in TV and outdoor and billboards and uh, sometimes print and bus shelters and things like that, has more to do with brand awareness and making sure that the brand is attempting to make sure that you understand a that they exist, b uh, that you understand something about them, some some element of what industry they're in, what products they sell, and then see they want they want to make sure that you're you're thinking of them in a particular way that 
they're owning an emotion. So mm-hmm. not only are you just thinking about Nike, but now you feel something about Nike or whatever the brand is, right? Mm-hmm. And so a, a great brand owns a particular emotion in the heart and in the mind of the viewership mm-hmm. and uh, or set of emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like in this particular Nike advertising, it's, it's, it's about dreaming and dreaming crazy and, and challenging uh, you as the listener to uh, question whether or not you're even dreaming crazy enough. Mm-hmm. And the one thing, Deb, that it reminded me of is, is this happened back in the early 90s when uh, Apple was doing a lot of advertising when Steve Jobs was obviously still with, the, with them mm-hmm. uh, with their crazy campaign. And, and their campaign was uh, all about here's to the crazies. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the TV spot, it had to do with people like Bob Dylan mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, famous writers and, um, you know, uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix and folks like that. People who actually, artists who actually changed the culture and changed the world. And they, they were, they had essentially the same kind of thing where they, they were really challenging people to think of them in a way that, that they were change makers. So mm-hmm. one could ask the question, well, what does here's to the crazies have to do with Apple products? This is before, well before the iPhone. Um, and, and the answer to that is the same answer to the, the recent advertising campaign with Nike is that they want to challenge people to think of them and feel about them in a particular powerful mm-hmm. way and, right. and, and really challenge people's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because in, in a lot of those really good campaigns like that, it is very polarizing. You know, you've got the passion for and the passion against. And even with some of the, the, the company products and services, you know, I was thinking about Starbucks. I love Starbucks. I love their coffee. My husband thinks it is the most overrated, overpriced uck that you can buy. I mean, he won't go into Starbucks. And, you know, and, and so it's, but does that, you know, it's, we, you know, as we've said, we have people who love the companies and people who hate the companies, and a lot of people that are just like, okay, well, there it is. It's easy to get to, so I'm going to buy that today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 that's the hard part as a marketer, as a as a business owner, is dealing with the people who are the okay, whatever's closest. You know, oh, I saw that guy today, so I'm going to buy my insurance from him. You know, all those various things, and so that's where we see these great campaigns. You know, these great, you know, thirty second. Elevator pitches, whatever it is, that's where we see those develop is when people really are setting themselves apart from the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sort of looping back into um, some of the earlier parts of our conversation here, Deb, is, you know, I would be very interested in um, thinking or, or knowing the statistics in, say, six months from now at Nike of how many people have, who have applied for jobs there. Mm. because of this particular ad campaign, because they said, they say to themselves, I want to work for an organization that is courageous enough to take this kind of stand. I want to be part of that. And I'm going to raise my hand to belong to that particular Mm -hmm. organization. And did they lose employees who went, nah, that's not where I want to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and at that point, did they ru- lose some of the employees that might've been the wrong employees for the organization right. anyhow? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. and, and I mean, we're seeing things like that right now with Tesla where people are like, Ooh, yeah, I'm not really sure this is where I want to be anymore. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that is of course one of the issues when you have one person 
who is very strongly associated with the entire brand, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and companies go on. I mean, Apple is obviously a great example of that. You know, it was very closely tied to Steve Jobs and now, you know, obviously it's not. So it, it is about building that corporate culture that can go on when that very strong person is no longer there. Yeah, yeah. And in in Apple's case and other cases, Tesla and SpaceX as well, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are companies that are founded on significant innovation and Mm -hmm. the expectation for both their customers and their shareholders is that that innovation will continue Mm -hmm. and the profits associated with that innovation will also continue and continue to rise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Tesla has, from my perspective, has yet to really fully prove out it's um, it's opportunity to be great in this mm-hmm. world, even though you could argue that they're great in lots of ways already. But they're they're certainly not where Apple has gone, mm-hmm. and I think uh, they still have a lot of work to do to realize their own potential. Um, and Elon is is a really interesting and you know to some people very polarizing individual. Obviously, incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, incredibly forward thinking. Um, but, you know, maybe taking, you know, sometimes one chance too many and, uh, you know, uh, maybe not being as quite as calculated uh, as, say, Steve Jobs was mm-hmm. in the way that he was promoting his organization and taking risks and being innovative out in the world. Right. You do have to wonder, though, what it would be like if Steve Jobs was lived now with all of the social media and things like that. Yeah. 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 You even take uh, the, the, you know, when, when we were talking about the Nike campaign, if there was strong social media during the time or any social media during the time when, when uh, Apple's campaign came out into the world, uh, it was called Here's to the Crazy Ones, mm-hmm. which I think was in 1996 or 97. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pre, you know, early internet, but there was no obviously Facebook or anything like that. Boy, I, I, I just think that that would have probably, maybe not been quite as polarizing, but certainly would have caused the same uh, or similar amount of sort of, you know, media buzz and thunder mm-hmm. that the current Nike commercial is doing. Right. Yeah, I could talk about this forever. I just find it fascinating, um, you know, but that's, that's you know, why I'm in this business. Um, yeah. But we do have just a couple minutes left. Oh, you know, we just have to have you on again, especially when your new book comes out. Let us know and, and we'll be Absolutely. more than happy to, to get you on. Um, so tell people how, how they find you and work with you. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the, the core work that I do is, is helping organizations uh, navigate their complex uh, crossroads of change mm-hmm. and uh, do evo- uh, brand and business evolution programs, so working with the leaders of those organizations, then with the culture, and then with the outward side of the brand. So you know, the best way to reach me is to, uh, to you've already announced the website, which is themthdegree.com. And, uh, you know, through there, there's a lot of free downloads uh, for a couple of ebooks. And um, there's also, I put out a lot of thought leadership or write for other publications. And I do a lot of public speaking on some of the topics that I write about. So if they, if anyone who wants to read more of my work, they want to go under insights on, on the navigation within my website, they can download all kinds of white papers and thought leadership work there. Great. I love it. Well, what final thoughts do you want to leave our listeners with today? 
Well, I, you know, first and foremost, Deb, I want to thank you for holding the space and for the work that you do out into the world. I think, you know, folks that folks like yourself who create such a great and powerful platform for other people to, um, you know, to talk about some of the things that are really important to them is really important to me. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you. And then, and then the, the other thing is I, I love challenging business leaders uh, of any size and organization to uh, raise their hand make a stand and create as much impact on the world uh, of their customers as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so to be bold and to be courageous, to dig into your own belief systems and don't be afraid to put them out there. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to express them and you're going to attract more of the right kinds of people. Great. I love it. Well, and as you said, you've got some great information and great resources. So I encourage people to, to go to the Empth degree, M as in marketing, the EmphDegree.com and check things out. Steve, love to have you on again to talk about your books, to talk more about brands, because even if it's just next week, <laughs> it won't be, but things will have changed. We'll have lots more to talk about. Um, and uh, so, so I look forward to having you on again. Deb, thank you so much. I would be thrilled to be a guest again. Great. Well, thank you so much. I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely wonderful time talking with Steve Morris. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.